Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those who I haven't met before, or I kind of look different today, I'm, my name is Tom, and I'm one of the student ministers here at Grace Point, and I look forward to bringing God's Word to you today. And we're still in our I Believe series, and we're at the line of the Apostles' Creed where uh, we're talking about I Believe in the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're at this week. So if you have your Bibles, keep them open. Uh, You can also take notes in the bulletins. The sermon outlines is in there as well. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we get to come and worship you today. So right now we just pray that your spirit be here with us as we open your word. Stir in our hearts uh, to hear your word and to apply it into our lives. And so we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. And so church, we've come to the line of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to recognize that we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. I feel like we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. You know, as I was thinking, this is partly because God the Father is so obvious in Scripture. God the Son is something we focus so much on. But God the Spirit... First of all, the scriptures don't talk as extensively as compared to the other persons of the Trinity. But secondly, and more importantly, the Spirit's work is actually to testify of the Son. And so we shouldn't be surprised that the person of the Holy Spirit is actually relatively silent. We shouldn't be surprised that He's working in the background. But can we also acknowledge that the reason why we don't talk about this work of the Spirit is actually because of bad, charismatic theology. And so perhaps we've gone too far in the opposite direction in response to it, which is why I think the creed is so helpful for us today to correct us, to help us come think about it, to help us to come understand God, the Holy Spirit. You know, more often than not, we think the Holy Spirit is sort of like the force, you know? You know from Star Wars, the force? Right, or maybe, at best, it might be the wind. And we, we often think of the Holy Spirit in this way. Perhaps we're thinking like this, or it, it, it's because we actually don't really understand, or we don't really know. And in fact, some of you might be asking, what is this spirit that we're talking about? Someone might respond, okay, Oh yeah, you know the spirit. You you know the spirit. It's going well. It's it's good. Well, actually, that's actually the wrong pronoun to be using. We often think that what it, what he is, what it, what it is, rather than who he is. We all, we often think of the spirit as what it is, rather than who he is. And so, can I suggest to you that we don't sufficiently understand? the Holy Spirit. We don't sufficiently understand the Holy Spirit, and that might explain some of the joylessness that you see in your life. That might explain some of the mundaneness or lack of direction or hopelessness that you feel. It probably, it, it's, it probably beca- it's probably because you don't know where your power comes from. There's, there's every chance that you're doubting your salvation right now because you don't know the power of the Spirit in your life. You, you get Jesus, you get God, 
the Father, but the gospel isn't real to you. And so I hope you see today that God is involved in your life more than you realize. God is involved in your life more than you realize. What you see in our passage today is that we actually have a low view of God. And this will lead to false beliefs, or even worse, a cold indifference towards sin, which leads to joylessness. A cold indifference towards sin, which leads to joylessness in the Christian life. However, the the good news is that we have a deep sense of joy because God, by His Spirit, is directly involved in your life. And so, when we get to our passage, some context is helpful, right? When we get to the book of Romans, what is happening is actually, it can actually be summarized in three categories. It's there in your outlines. And when, first we see the Father as the architect of salvation. From chapters 1 to 2, we see God, the Father, as the architect of salvation. And we see God's righteousness, His eternal power. Uh, we see God as creator. And it's contrasted to man's unrighteousness. It's contrasted to the sin of the world. We see the problem of sin, but what we also see is God's plan. And so in, from chapters 3 to 7, we see the work of the Son. We see the Father sends His Son. His son the Son accomplishes. He accomplishes salvation. And we see that He brings us into a new family. He, we see that we're given our new future. You're given a new hope. You're given a new purpose. And so in chapter 8, our passage, we see God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who constantly applies salvation to our lives. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one constantly working on our hearts. And that gives us an overwhelming sense of joy. And so this morning, what I hope you will see is that the work of the Holy Spirit is profoundly connected to a deep sense of joy despite how you feel, despite your circumstances, despite what you're going through. So three points for today, it's in your outlines. The presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the promise. Let's have a look at point one. The presence of the Holy Spirit. And and so Paul's argument here is that people who have Jesus, people who trust in Jesus, they have His Spirit as well. Read from verse 3. Right? For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh. And notice in verse 4, in, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. What Paul is suggesting here is that those who have the Holy Spirit those who have His Spirit, they actually live according to Him. They live according to His Spirit. They live according to His Spirit because of, first and foremost, to what Christ has chiefly done for us on the cross. That's what it says in verse 3. God has poured out His judgment on Christ, His Son, so that we don't have to face the punishment for our sin. And, and we see that the Son accomplishes salvation for us. But notice that that's not all he did. He didn't just accomplish salvation for us. Notice in verse 4, it says, like Christ first and foremost makes us righteous, but verse 4 tells us 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Notice that it's not a single event, like a chapter in a book, but it's this lifelong journey living according to the Spirit. In order that it be fully met in us, but according to the Spirit. It's a life of living in obedience to Him. And put simply, Christ not only came to set us free from the penalty, penalty of sin, that's certainly true, but what you need to come to realize is He also came to set us free from the power of sin. We'll talk about the power of the sin in point two, but I hope you see that the presence of the Holy Spirit is in those who follow Christ. Christ, by His Spirit, is residing in you and I. If you have been saved by Christ, if you follow Christ, if you trust in Christ's work, you have His presence. His Holy Spirit is here right now. That's what Paul's saying. And so, what are some tangible implications of this? What does it mean to have His Spirit? What does it mean to live according to His Spirit? What does it mean to not live according to the flesh? Well, I want to acknowledge that it, it's hard to understand. Sometimes it's hard to think about. Author and theologian Gordon Fee shares about one of his students who remarked, God the Father makes perfect sense to me. God the Son I can understand, but God the Holy Spirit? Well, it's a great blur. And maybe you're like me, you resonate with that. When you think of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, it's a great blur. Can I suggest that perhaps, maybe, we don't actually believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps we don't actually believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We don't fully and personally know who the Spirit is. And so friends, it's clear in verse 5, it, it tells us you're either living according to the flesh, so your minds are set on the things of the flesh, or you're living according to the Spirit. And so what does it mean to live according to the Spirit for you? Well, perhaps first it's acknowledging Him. Acknowledging His presence in your life. John chapter 14 tells us what Jesus was saying to His disciples. And it says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and He will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 21, Paul writes to the Christians and he says, In Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become the holy temple of the Lord. And in you too are being built together to become the dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Do you guys see the connection? The connection is that these passages emphasize the role of the Holy Spirit in your lives. In John chapter 14, Jesus promises the disciples that the Holy Spirit will be sent to them to help them, to guide them, to empower them to do His work. In, in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is described as the source of unity. It's described as strength in our lives. And He is building us into a holy temple where God will dwell with us. He will dwell in us. 
both these passages emphasize the Holy Spirit's role in your lives. And it actually shows us that the presence of the Holy Spirit, He's with us. He actually shows us that the presence of the Holy Spirit exists in our lives. And so, one implication I want to draw out is that our understanding of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life actually profoundly shapes the way we deal with loneliness. Our understanding of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life actually profoundly shapes the way we deal with loneliness. You see, one way we deal with loneliness is maybe go make friends. You know, go, go join a new community. Go on a dating app and look for a new relationship. But the problem is that we look for solutions in people and things. We look to people and things to fill the void of our loneliness. We, we look to people who will let us down. We look to material things that will grow old quickly. We look to relationships that will never satisfy. And so I want to say this is actually evidence of a longing that you have in your heart. A void that needs to be filled. And so, listen closely, your loneliness can only be satisfied by God. Your loneliness can only be filled by an eternal God who will always satisfy, who will always be there for you. What you're longing for is for a restored relationship with the God that created you. And He does that for you in Christ. You see, the, the Holy Spirit isn't an abstract power. It isn't an abstract Star Wars force. It's not even the wind. But He's real. He's there. He is present in your heart if you trust in Him. You see, God doesn't promise to cure your loneliness, but He promises to walk with you through it. He is there with you the entire time. He never tr- you're never truly alone, even if you feel like you're the most alone. You see, God doesn't just send His Son and that's it, but He sends His Holy Spirit to be with you always. This is why God is a personal God. You can actually speak to God the Father because of God the Spirit. You have direct access to Him through prayer. You can communicate with Him whenever you want, wherever you want. Isn't that personal? To have someone on call 24-7, you can pray wherever, whenever you want. Furthermore, the Spirit gives us a power and a unique bond with other believers. You see, what the Spirit does in a very abstract way is that it binds us with God the Father, when we, where we have access to Him, but we are bound, where we're bound to God, but we also are bound to others. We meet people who are bound similarly to Him, right? And the most profound thing is that it brings a union between you and I. The most profound thing is that it that brings a union between you and I, between believers, between Christians, is that we have this relationship with Him. And this relationship transcends interests, hobby, geography, and time. Do you know why Caroline, Lynn, Tony, Nathan, who are all on the welcoming team, what, do you know why they can all be friends? 
It's because God's Spirit is present in them. It's present in us. His Spirit is here and is present for us so we can have this bond with Him and bond with the people in our community. It's one of the great joys of being in God's family because we're all one family. You're adopted into this family no matter your past. And so God, the Holy Spirit, He is more involved in your life than you realize. He's involved in your life more than you realize, and He has a powerful presence in your life. That's our first point, His presence in your life. And earlier I alluded to His power. We're at our second point, the power of the Spirit. And the reality is that Paul is talking about, in our passage, is that we live in a world that continues to wrestle with sin. We live in a world that continues to wrestle with sin. And he uses this language of governed by the flesh, being hostile to God. And so what Paul is calling on is the objective reality of life and peace in Christ. He's calling on the reality of salvation which you and I have entered because of Christ. And the truth is, we probably don't speak enough or recognize the Spirit's work in this reality of salvation. But what you need to hear is through the presence of the Holy Spirit entering your life, you're no longer under the power of sin and death. The Spirit has the power to overcome sin in your life. You're no longer under the power of sin and death. Have a look at verse 11. Verse 11, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Who raised Jesus up? It was God by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with Jesus in the tomb and was working in Him to resurrect Him from the grave. And now listen to what Paul is saying. He's saying that same power that God used to raise the body of Jesus from the dead is living inside you right now. You have the Holy Spirit. That's the amazing message that Paul is presenting here. The power that can overcome death comes from the Holy Spirit who dwells in Christians like you and I right now. We have that same power in the Holy Spirit. We have that power to say no to sin. We have the power to say no to the flesh. You can, you can be transformed to live a life in accordance with God. And so another implication I want to draw out today is, I don't know if this is you, but maybe you res- resonate with this, but maybe you're someone who has been wrestling with the same sin over and over and over again. Maybe it's one year, three years, five years, ten years. You're still wrestling with the same sin. And you're thinking, will I ever be free from this? You're you're asking the question, will I ever be free from this sin? In fact, maybe you feel so alone in this. No one, you're so alone because no one can ever know about it. You know, what we really need to guard against is a real danger because it's probably you. So listen carefully. The real danger is thinking that we will never be redeemed from that sin. We'll never be redeemed from that sin that we constantly wrestle with. 
In fact, it's the attitude of having respectable sins or acceptable sins. Maybe you've grown comfortable with a persistent sin in your life. And so church, what I want you to know is that the Spirit has the power to kill that sin in your life. The Spirit has that power to sanctify you. He, ha- he wants you to put, to sin, put sin to death in your life. He's present. He's active. He has the power to transform you. He's involved in your life more than you realize. Trust in His work to kill sin. And so, and so this power is not just a one-time event. It wasn't just the act of salvation, but it's a continuous process that looks towards the future. Let's have a look at our last point, the promise. From verse 14 onwards, we we shift from the focus of life in Christ to children of God, and listen to what Paul says in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Don't miss this. What Paul is saying is that those who have encountered Christ, who follow Christ, who trust in Him, they have a completely new identity in Him. He he writes, We receive the spirit of adoption by whom we get to cry out, Abba, Father. You see, this, this passage highlights the idea that the Holy Spirit is not only present in the life of believers, but it's also guiding them, leading them in the lives in their lives as children of God. And so what does it mean to be a child of God? Let, let us look to the saints of old who put this statement of faith about the Holy Spirit. It, it's a privilege to be that we are blessed with a document, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and it puts it this way. It's in your outlines. Right, we, which reads, We now enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, are chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of an everlasting salvation. There's so much in there. There's a lot of new promises, a lot of privileges. We now have God's name placed upon us. We can approach Him with boldness. God promises to care for us, to provide for us, to protect us, to correct us. He promises He will never let us go. We could spend weeks exploring this, but I think J.I. Packer helpfully summarizes the idea. J.R. Packer once wrote that this is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. It's even better than our justification, by which he means it's better than God's forgiveness to us. Why why does he say this? He says, justification, he says, is definitely necessary, and it definitely meets our deepest spiritual need. But adoption is even higher because of the rich relationship that it signifies with God. You see, we could be forgiven by God, but that would still not necessarily mean God loves us 
And it doesn't imply any deep and meaningful relationship or intimacy. But what you need to know is that that's not what God does. He doesn't just forgive us and leave us, leave us at that. He promises that He will bring us into His family. He gives us His Spirit. He promises the presence of Himself to us. He loves us. He's intimate with us. He becomes our Father. And so our relationship becomes one of closeness and one of affection and generosity. And J.R. Packer continues and says, To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by the God the Father is greater. And so the good news that we offer that Christians have that perhaps even the good news that we need to hear ourselves is that it's not just about forgiveness. It's not just about the better afterlife. It's, it's far better than this. It's that we can have a new relationship with God through Jesus by the work of the Spirit. We can enjoy and have a full assurance of all the privileges of becoming His children. And so embrace that. Enjoy that. Recognize His presence. Find relief in His power. And revel in the the promises that He has made to you. God is involved in your life more than you realize. He is present in you. He has powerfully transformed you and He has promised that you are His And so some points to ponder for today. In our sermon today, we addressed a couple of different areas of deficiencies. And so I have some questions for you to ponder on. The first, from the first point is loneliness. And so the first point to to ponder is, who or what are you turning to, to fill the void of loneliness in your heart? Who or what are you turning to to fill the void of loneliness in your heart? The second point to ponder is what are some persistent sins in your life that you have grown far too comfortable with? What are some persistent sins in your life that you have grown far too comfortable with? And the last point to ponder is, in what ways has your lack of assurance caused you to sin? In what ways has your lack of assurance caused you to sin? I'm not sure where you're at today, but my hope and prayer is that you reflect and you answer these questions with honesty and vulnerability. Church, do business with God today. The presence of His Holy Spirit brings us a deep sense of joy because we can. His presence is here. His presence is here. He has the power to save. He has given us all the assurance that we can ever ask for. How will you respond to Him today? I want to share this very moving story that I read about, about unconditional love to finish up. It's about a woman called Susan who went unexpectedly blind. We don't know why she went blind, but her husband, an army officer, helps her to regain her confidence and independence. 
First, he starts by driving her to work every day. He chauffeurs her daily and drops her off right in front of her workplace. Eventually, they start taking the bus, and he goes with her every day until she feels comfortable doing it alone. You see, Susan wasn't really confident in her ability to make this commute. But she knew she had to because her husband needed to go back to work. He couldn't be with her all the time. Deep down, she felt scared and alone, and she dreaded every time she had to make that commute. Well, long story short, she started to travel to work alone, and about a year later, Susan was taking the bus to work, as usual. As she was paying the ticket, as she was exiting the bus, the bus driver said to her, Boy, I sure do envy you. Curious, she asked the driver, Why do you, why do you, envy, why do you envy me? The driver responded, It must feel good to be taken care of and protected like you are. Susan had no idea what he was talking about, and she asked, What do you mean? And the driver answered, You know, every morning for the past year, a fine, good-looking gentleman in a military uniform has been standing across the corner watching you as you get off the bus. He makes sure you cross safely across the street. He watches you until you enter the entrance of your office building. Then he blows you a kiss, he gives you a salute, and then he walks you, he walks away. You're one lucky lady. You see, this story highlights the unconditional love, but the main focus is the husband's overseeing presence. Even though Susan was completely unaware, the husband was present every single day. He was more involved in protecting her, caring for her than she realized. He was more involved in caring for her than she realized. So church, God is more involved in your life, more than you realize. Will you turn to him today? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. And so right now, we ask that you stir our confidence in us of your presence, of your power, and your promise to save. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.